Hi, and welcome back. Today's guest is actor Malik Pancholi. You may recognize him from Weeds or 30 Rock, but he's also about to open the new play Grand Horizons at the Williamstown Theater Festival. Other stage productions include The Remains at the Studio Theater in Washington, D.C., Good for Otto, Off-Broadway, It's Only a Play on Broadway, and of course, the play where he and I met, The Taming of the Shrew at the Shakespeare Theater, also in Washington, D.C. In addition to being an actor, Malik's debut novel, The Best at It, comes out on October 8th, 2019, from, let's see if I'm saying this correctly, Balzer and Bray slash HarperCollins. It's about a 12-year-old gay Indian-American boy who thinks all of his problems will disappear if he can just find that one special thing he's the best at. It is a very funny but also deeply touching story about family, friendship, and the courage it takes to live your truth, and I personally can't wait to read it. Oh, you'll soon discover that at the end of this episode, when Malik starts talking about the aforementioned book, it cuts out in the middle. And that is simply because I was living on the edge that day and didn't have my laptop plugged in. So I guess we left you with a cliffhanger. Anyway, I really hope you enjoy this episode. P.S. This is definitely one of the episodes where I say like a lot and my voice gets super quiet. So please ignore, forgive me, and without any further ado, Malik Pancholi. Pancholi, who I met in 2016 doing The Taming of the Shrew at the Shakespeare Theater in Washington, D.C. in an all-male production where Malik played Catherine. Katerina, I guess. I don't... Katerina. Katerina. Kate. Many Kate. names. She could be anyone. She could be whoever you She's wish. every woman. And we <laughs> became friends, and I was very, very happy about that. But enough about me... Because now I would like you to please paint us a picture, Malik. Oh, all and right. And tell us, please, in high school, were you in the school plays? <laughs> and did you have a drama class during the day? Um, I was in school plays in high school. You know, I went to, I went to a um, what's now a very big private school, but at the time was a pretty small private school. So we only did one big musical every year. Um, it's so funny because I actually just had drinks with my high school drama teacher last night, two nights ago. Yeah. In New York, um, <clears throat> obviously, but and we were laughing about this because we we did one big high school musical, and I wasn't really the musical theater kid. And we did Oklahoma one year, and they invented a role for me, uh, the role of Leek, oh. <laughs> based on my first name, Malik. <laughs> it was like literally not even a real character. So I did do the high school plays, but there weren't there weren't a lot of <laughs> of things out there. And then at one point in my high school career. Um, at least I had some some semblance of a career back then. Uh, the the other high school drama teacher that I had, this guy named Mr. Uh, Locklear, who was amazing. He had the advanced drama club, and we would do um, we would do like one kind of bizarre play. We did I remember we did Moliere on the mound because we had a mound of grass. <laughs> My high school, it's a very large mound. And so instead of Shakespeare in the Park, we did uh, we did Moliere on the mound. <laughs> like every year, you did a Moliere. No, just oh, the one year that, that one we did year. Uh, did Moliere. But yeah, I did, I did that. And we did have a drama class. We had advanced drama. And you know I, what was amazing, my high school was a long time ago, but I feel like the teachers we had were actually pretty progressive for Tampa, Florida, which mm. is where I went to high school. And um, I remember we read Six Degrees of Separation, like right as it was coming out onto Broadway. And it was such a big deal to be reading mm-hmm. a play that dealt with like racism and sexuality and had nudity on stage and this kind of conservative, you know, little prep school that I went to. Yeah. Yeah. I love that play. So you were busy <laughs> in high school. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I also did, I did a fair amount of community theater. Like I already uh-huh. knew I wanted to be an actor. Um, we lived in Tampa, Florida, and it was like that, that, 
um, that time in like the late 80s where everyone thought Orlando was going to be the next big film center. So there were actually like talent agencies happening and I had like a little talent agent and did some community theater. There wasn't a lot to audition for, obviously, but I remember going to Orlando for like, I don't know, something, I don't know what. Um, and also doing, we had, um, we had like our own version of Star Search. <laughs> I haven't thought about this in so long, but I remember going to some hotel, I think in Orlando and putting on some show for, I don't even know who it was for, but, um, you know, people of some level of fame that came to Orlando to like judge our talents. <laughs> Was so it yeah, successful? Uh, I mean, I think I did fine. I don't know if anyone's careers like blossomed after Star Search, Star Search Orlando. They might have. I don't. I don't really know. You know, I did go to. I I, I did community theater with a woman named Liz Vassy, who went on to win a daytime Emmy for uh, a, a soap opera. Who I think left him to do a soap opera, and then ended up. She's like on. I think one of the CSI shows. I'd have to look this up. I feel terrible. I don't know, but yeah, she had quite a career after that. And then me and a lot of people came out from Tampa. I don't know if they were doing the same things I was doing, but a lot of, um, I think Aziz Ansari's from Tampa and Asif Manvi and oh. um, my high school drama teacher had a bunch of kids who are now on Broadway. So yeah, who knew? Tampa. Yeah. Well, you sort of like answered the next question though, which was kind yeah. of, um, so you kind of like answered the call pretty early. Yeah. You knew. Yeah. I did. And I don't really know why, but I, my parents tell me, I told them when I was five, that I wanted to be an actor, yeah. And I don't, I don't really know what that was about. I do know as a uh, really young kid, my parents showed us a lot of old Bollywood movies, mm. but like not kind of like the crazy, um, you know, like song and dance insane Bollywood. But uh, <clears throat> excuse me, but a lot, but but a lot of like the classic black and white Raj Kapoor movies, like very iconic. Indian movies and I remember loving them as a kid so I don't know if that played into me wanting to be an actor or not but it it certainly I was surrounded kind of like by a lot of arts and and film and stuff like that as a kid I love that um can you tell me then what sort of like was appealing to you um that led you to study theater at Northwestern because I feel like they they obviously you studied theater there right yeah yeah but they're also I think really like known for like a great liberal arts education. Yeah, and that I think that was one of the reasons I went there. I did that thing where I applied to a number of schools and got into, <clears throat> you know, varying places. Um, some conservatories, some schools that didn't that were like really good schools that didn't have great drama programs. And then I got into Northwestern, and I feel like it was the sort of the fact that you could get a great liberal arts education and uh, be at a great theater program altogether. That was kind of the reason um, so, I decided yeah. to go there. Yeah. And, and Chicago, like, you know, such a great theater town, and um, Northwestern's right outside the city. Yeah. And, yeah. And did you, um, like, what was a typical, like, semester for you? Like, was, would you <clears> say <throat> that sorry. you're, like, please, we have a lot of, <laughs> would you say that your, like, curriculum was, like, equally distributed? Like, was it half liberal arts and then half, like, conservatory style classes, or... Yeah, um, you know, I uh, I was kind of like an overachiever in high school, so I took a bunch of AP classes and mm. placed out of a bunch of things. And um, part of the deal when I went to Northwestern was my parents are super supportive. Like they they were very behind me being an actor, but they were like, you should double major in something. So when I went to Northwestern, I told them I was going to be a business and theater major, mm. but Northwestern doesn't really have a business undergrad program so it was kind of a lie although I didn't really even mean to lie I thought I would study that Um, but I remember I took a bunch of like statistics and econ classes trying to build this like business major and I got to a class called econometrics I think it was and the teacher on the very first day was like you've got to get this dvd or disc or something like that that you use to project like stock forecasts or what I yeah it was like too much and I was like I'm done I can't do it and so I feel like yeah exactly it was like this is not gonna happen and so that was kind of the end of that double major thing Mm -hmm. and I also feel like because I placed out of a bunch of things I was able to um I was able to take a lot of theater classes so it felt it felt like a pretty heavy theater degree for me but I did yeah I studied you know I mean I took some literature classes and Spanish and um it was pretty well-rounded. Yeah. But having said that, I did a lot of theater. While you were there? Yeah. So you, you graduate, and like, what happens right now? Yeah. Um, so 
my senior year of college, I ended up doing two plays in Chicago. I did a play at the Court Theater, which is um, a pretty amazing regional theater. Yeah. And then... <clears throat> And then right after the show at the court, I did a show at the Goodman that uh, that Mary Zimmerman directed, um, which is kind of a big, big production at the time. This show called Journey to the West. I feel like it was like kind of like the beginning of Mary's big career. And so I had a little bit of stuff under my belt, and I and I moved to Chicago right after Northwestern, but I only stayed there for six months. Um, I did an, um, like a Christmas Carol at the Goodman after mm. that, and then I kind of um, started sending these inquiry letters out to Los Angeles with this kind of like, you know, I've been working in Chicago and I'm thinking about moving to LA. And it was like, it was such a different time back then. This was 1996 or something like that. And so I literally sent out like a mass mailing to agents in LA with little return postcards where they could say like, we'd love to meet you and check a box and mail it back. And a few of them actually worked. And I went out to LA and had some meetings with agents and I signed with an agent, and I and then I moved out to LA. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I remember I had a conversation with Hollis Resnick, who is kind of um, I mean, she's amazing. She's uh, she's a huge name in Chicago, and she she I think she did um, Fontaine in the tour of Les Mis, and and she was in um, the show at the court I did, and I had a conversation with her, and I was like, I was like, I'm not sure what I should do. Should I stay in Chicago? Should I move to New York? Should I move to LA? And she. She was like, listen, you're already working here in Chicago, and if you stay, you'll probably continue to work, and that'll be great. Um, but she was like, you know, you're young, and if you want to try out L.A., like, now's the time, the time to do it. And so I kind of did it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yes. I feel yeah. like usually, I, I don't know why I thought, like, New York was the first stop for you, but it was not at all. No, it was L.A. For a few years, yeah. And yeah. so while you're there, what leads us to grad school? So I kind of... Um, I, th- I thought that I would go to grad school kind of for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, so this high school drama teacher, this woman named Kathy Grau, she was from Chicago and she was like, you got to go to Northwestern undergrad and then go to Yale drama. Stop. She just like told me that. Yeah. And so I, now that we're talking about this out loud, I've never really pieced this together, yeah. but I guess I really take people's <laughs> advice. But so it was kind of always in the back of my head and I, and I knew it was like a place I wanted to go to. And then I was also living in LA in the nineties at a time where Honestly, most of the parts I went out for were um, like the foreign exchange student, a, a part that I played many times as a guest star. And, you know, it was always like, can you bring your own turban? And how big of an accent can you do? And um, and, and that wasn't everything. Like I got, I did get to do some other um, pretty cool stuff. Like I, I had a recurring role on Tracy Allman's show, Tracy Takes On, playing, oddly enough, her college character's boyfriend, Roberto. <laughs> so you, we were in a very different place when it came to ethnic casting. <laughs> but but I just was, it was like a frustrating time, I think, like to for an Indian American actor in LA. And mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, like coming out of Northwestern and studying theater, I was like, I feel Hungry. like I could be, yeah, I was like, I feel like I could be, I could be doing more than this. Mm-hmm. And so I applied to Yale. And, um, it took me a few times to get in. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> me too. But I remember this, but I, what I remember is the, the time that I auditioned, uh, that I did get in, I was kind of like over it, you know, like I was just like, I'm going to apply. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. I was, I was working in LA at the time. Um, and I was weirdly like less invested than I had been in the times before that. And I don't know if that's why, I like know, who knows? It's a crazy thing. Like, when you want at least or like yeah, when yeah, yeah. you are like inundated with other things in your life it will sneak up on you <laughs> right right it's like but my gosh I worked so hard and I wanted it for so long and so um well and I also I don't know like you know whatever the way the universe works mm-hmm. but I don't even know if it had so much to do with me not necessarily like being so desperate to get into grad yeah. school or whatever but I also I do think that it was kind of like the right time mm. and that maybe I wouldn't have appreciated it if I'd gotten in on the first try yeah. or wouldn't have like known the industry as well or yeah. And so while, you know, while you waited to go, was it still just kind of like back to pounding the pavement in LA and, and working and auditioning and, um, well, I feel like I found out I got in like in February or March or something like that. And then, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't remember what that time in between was. I remember there was a moment where I was like, oh my God, now I've got to s- decide. And for the first time, I'm actually like making money. I was like guest starring a bunch and doing a bunch of commercials. And mm. <clears throat> like, do I really want to go there? Yeah, now? like, do I really want to go? Yeah. And I had agents at the time who were kind of like, you don't want to lose all the success you've built on. And if you go to drama school, it won't really mean much in LA. You're already talented. And, mm. um, but, I think in the end it was like too good of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah. Um, in school, can you recall anything or like, oh, I just kicked the table. Can you recall? <clears throat> I don't know why. I think I was, I don't know. Oh, and I just wanted to clarify before oh. when I said me too, <laughs> I did not get into the Yale School of Drama, nor did I audition. I was implying that I can't clear the phlegm out of my throat. But you're going to cut all that out, right? <clears throat> Who knows? <clears throat> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see. <laughs> Bloopers? I don't know. Um, but... Can you recall what class or something, like, scared you the most while you were there? Yeah. I mean, I remember the, just get it, like, the very first week was sort of terrifying, you know? It's, I mean, there was, it was very bonding, because there's, I think there were 15 or 16 of us, and it was actors, and it was, um, it was, I mean, it's like the first day of school to, like, the 999,000th degree, and everyone's like, oh my god, oh my god. But, <laughs> but um, I think the scariest and also the most rewarding class was uh, clown class with with Chris Bays, mm. and um, this is really personal, but I remember we had to do these clowns that uh, came out, and you had to like sing a song, like no preparation, just come out and like sing a song about yourself, and acapella. I remember, yeah, like acapella, just be like, hey, my clown, I can't remember my clown's name now, but yet you're, you know, you basically developed a clown over the period of this class, and one day he was like, okay, we're gonna just get up and like sing songs, and in the middle of the song. I found my clown saying, and I need to come out to my mom. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Mm. It just kind of like flew out of me. And I think like that week I called my mom and came out to her. And so it was that 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 thing where like the thing that was so terrifying ended up being the thing that was like the thing I needed to face. And, yeah. and you know. Yeah. Drama school, I think, has a habit of like, you know, while you're rolling around on the floor in your full black attire, <laughs> your dance belt, things come out. <laughs> yeah. Like whether or not you would like them to. Yeah. Bodily or otherwise. Yeah. yeah you have to, you gotta face it. <laughs> but um, what about like, um, I'm always interested to know if there was ever something in any specific class where you felt like you personally like, um, I don't know, something where you felt like something clicked. Or you had like, I mean, maybe this was your breakthrough moment, but like yeah. something where like, um, like in a voice class, like something you were like using, a re- I don't know. Like there's so many different options if you can. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I feel like there was so much of it that was, um, really important to me. You know, I, I feel like the training at Northwestern was very creative, um, which I loved. And then I feel like when I went to Yale, a lot of it was um, very technique-based. Sure. Um, and so I feel like that was, like, really important to me to say, like, oh, it's not just um, going home and feeling really, really creative, but I actually have this, like, toolbox of things I can do when I don't understand what's happening in a script or when I don't under- when this character isn't really closely aligned. I mean, I remember um, <clears throat> Evan Yunulis was our acting teacher, and I remember she actually specifically talked about that. She was like, you know, part of the training here is not to find the roles that you're perfect at, but to find out what do you do when, when there's that gap and you're mm. trying to close that gap between what fits you really comfortably and what um, what the character demands of you, you know? So that, um, I'm trying to, you know, I don't know. Like there was, there was so many things. I also, I also feel like the way the faculty worked when I was there was it was very cohesive in a way. So um, the biggest takeaway for me was that characters are always like in search of something and always like moving forward in their lives whether or not it looks like moving forward to them Mm. and so I feel like you'd be in a voice class and be exploring like the same kind of forward motion or be in a movement class and literally like moving forward across the floor so it it all felt really really cohesive in a way it didn't feel like I was just doing this sort of like arbitrary movement in movement class like everything's Mm. felt purposeful yeah yeah, I mean, I, I literally that. remember we had an amazing movement teacher, this guy named Wesley Fata, who was like, I think he taught like Merrill and um, yeah. Francis McDormand and like taught everybody. And he would, you know, you'd be, he would have these African drummers that would come into movement class and we'd do these like dance movements across the floor. And he was a Martha Graham dancer, so it was a very like modern move. But it would literally be like, 
you know, step on the head of the snake. Like every time your foot comes down, like you're like you're a character achieving an action, yeah. like like pursuing an objective as you go across the floor. You're not just like getting into your body. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it was very, um, yeah, it was just very cohesive. Yeah, I um, and I'm wondering. I know that you did work there, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Sort of like what the Yale rep sort of like informed in your training while you were a student there. Yeah, you know, it was. It was, <laughs> the Yale rep was very different then than I think it is now. Huh. And I don't really exactly know what it's, what it's like now, so I can't really speak to it. But when I first got to drama school, there was a pretty big divide. Like the, we had to understudy um, at, the Yale, rep, at the Yale rep and you couldn't really work there at the beginning, you know, which caused some, some problems. Like mm-hmm. my very first year, there was a play. I can't believe I'm going to tell you guys this, but or tell all the listeners this. Hello, world. <laughs> but there was a play that I had been workshopping in LA at the Mark Taper Forum about an Indian American boy. Um, that was like the lead, like a kid, not a not a child, but like a an age appropriate character. Yeah. Uh, and he goes back to India and like visits his family or whatever. And the Yale rep did it my first year at school professionally. And I was like, God, I've been workshopping this play. I know the playwright. I would love to play this part. And they were like, well, you're not allowed because that's the way the school works. But then um, they cast a non-Indian American actor to play it. He was wonderful in the role, but it was just, there, you know, there was a bit of a disconnect, I think, about um, where we were culturally in that moment and what was important to put on stage. On stage. Um, and I, I talk about that freely. Like I, I, I would talk about it with professors there now. And at the time I did have a conversation with, um, the heads of our program about it. So I had like this interesting relationship with the rep, but I will say that I think the biggest thing was having professional actors on campus who we could interact with and you could see in productions and sort of see like, Oh, this is what we're working towards. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in drama school, so you're very critical and you'd tear people apart. Right, right. <laughs> you'd just go see a show and be like, oh my God, that was terrible when they did. Right. They, weren't pursu- they weren't stepping on the head of the snake or whatever, right. you know what I mean? Because you were training because and what you're doing is everything. paramount. Yeah. It's like the most, exactly. Yeah, and you think you know it all. Everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, well, now we graduate from Yale. We're so happy. <laughs> we achieved the goal. And now, now do we move to New York? Yes. So now, now we we're on our way to New York yeah. City. Yeah. And I want to know is... How did you pound the pavement there? Was it very different from LA? And were you still working with that representative in Los Angeles? Or like, was that? Um, I got new agents when I moved to New York. Yes, pounding the pavement in New York is very different than pounding the pavement in LA, I think. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to move to New York after Yale was that I I literally um, had the thought that if I graduate from Yale and I move back to LA... I will be driving up to the Warner Brothers lot for that same guest starring role that I would have auditioned for um, before I went to grad before school. I went to grad school. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I feel like in you know New York suddenly opened up a world of off Broadway theater to me. I started doing mm-hmm. some plays like right out of school, and and I also wonder. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I feel like in LA, it's a little bit of an invitation to come in and audition, and I feel like in New York, they provide opportunities for every play. You know, like Equity requires like this CPA or this chorus or anything like I feel like the doors are more I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like there's more potential opportunity in New York or I do think I mean I think as a beginning actor um you can you can kind of make a career in New York without an agent in a way that it's pretty impossible to in LA like you you, we really can't audition for like guest starring roles on things without an agent I don't Mm -hmm. think but funnily enough, the whole like equity principle audition thing and yeah. all that stuff, like I actually did some of that in LA, which always felt so ridiculous because we'd know, like I remember, <laughs> I remember going out to like the Debbie Reynolds studios or whatever and waiting, you know, an entire day from 8am to 4pm mm-hmm. to be seen for something with this idea that they kind of, this is terrible to say, but you knew it. We're like LA actors. They're not, they're just there because they have to be there, you know, but I didn't actually do a lot of that. I don't think I did any of that in New York because I had an agent and I was right. coming out of the Yale School, School of Drama, Drama, so I feel like a lot of casting directors had come to our showcase. Right. and um, There was like... Yeah, there's a, there was like a little bit a more bite. sort of... Yeah. And that was another thing is I kind of just feel like, you know, casting directors in New York, I think, tend to understand 
um, what a drama school education is in a, in a different way than I think casting directors LA. in LA do. Yeah. Totally. Um, now we're like looking at auditions. So we're auditioning for off-Broadway plays. Yeah. What is something that you will not walk into the audition room without? So <laughs> I don't know if that has changed for you over the years, but um, like how are you armed when you walk in? Um, a bottle of water, always, for sure. Always. I don't I, I don't know what it is. I just Which get, I'll like, always inevitably flabby. leave on the floor of the room. <laughs> totally. Like a half crush, like the, yeah. the labels coming off. Exactly. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit of a workaholic, so it's very important to me to have done the work. You know, like I, I like to read the entire script if I can. It drives me a little crazy when people, you know, like I feel like we're in this moment now or we have been for a while where it's like everything's top secret and there's no scripts and, you know, um, you know, I, I get it. I get that like cast directors can see something in you or producers can see something in you that they think is right for the role or not. But like I'm a, I'm a trained actor. Like I, I do approach a script with like a bag of tools and mm-hmm. Um, and I like to be able to apply those things and see what it brings out in me. And so I think the biggest thing is like, I don't walk into an audition room without having done as much preparation as I can, but I don't have it. Like, I don't have like a secret rock that I put it in changes. my pocket or it always changes. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. And there are, you know, there are times when you're just like super busy and you get the material and you have two hours to spend on it and you have to go in and of course you just show up and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I believe me. I know it. Um, <laughs> What do you personally consider to be like your big break? Oh my God. I'm, I feel like I'm still waiting, waiting for it to happen. I, like shortly after Yale, um, I moved to New York thinking that I was going to just do like New York theater and, and then we'd take it from there. Um, but TV started to happen really fast. Mm-hmm. Like I, I got, I think I graduated Yale in 2003 and 30 Rock. Um, started in 2005, I think. Wow. And right around that same time, I started working on on Weeds. Um, and so I feel like that sort was of... Was that shot in L.A.? It was shot in L.A., yeah. But it was a cable show, so it was like we shot over the summer, and it kind of magically worked out that there was a period of time <clears throat> in the first couple seasons of both shows where I could literally do both shows because yeah. 30 Rock would wrap, and then wow. Weeds would start. And... Um, so yeah, I mean, I think doing those two things back to back immediately opened up a lot of doors for me. Did, um, I always say that I'm going to focus on like theater in the podcast, but I do have to ask, Yeah, you know, training in theater and doing all of that, is there something that you have to let go when you're walking on set that's very different from like, I'm going to rehearse this play for three to four weeks and I'm going to see what happens in the rehearsal room, what changes, and then just sort of like, showing up on a day and maybe rehearsing maybe not and like how do you sort of like succumb to those new requirements yeah um you know so i was very lucky because on both of those shows i got to play characters over multiple seasons Mm -hmm. so even though you only get to do the scenes like really briefly or you know you shoot an episode in a week or you have to move very quickly and, and it is true like often on set you'll have kind of like one rehearsal with the cast and one rehearsal to block the marks and and then you go off and get ready and then you come back and have one more rehearsal and do it um that what was kind of great is that over the years I got to like get I think deeper and like grow bigger into those characters which is just like I don't know it's it's like a gift to to be like to look back and say like wow this character really evolved from season one to season seven or um, I mean, like on Weeds, I had such a crazy trajectory. I right, right. came out of the closet and like had a baby, and mm-hmm. like you know, we just, like the character really, really grows, and you get to like really own it. So I think in later seasons, it's easier to sort of like do a scene quickly because you're like, I know what this character is, and I, I know who he is, and I know what he wants. Sure. And, um, I will say the thing that I feel like succumbing to like really quickly is building um, intimacy like immediately, and I think this is particularly true of guest starring. Like, you show up on a set, often with stars, often with stars who are, um, you know, they're so well-versed in the show and their characters that they can, like, disappear or just, like, turn on in a, in a moment. And it's your job to have, like, a very quick connection with them. And I think that's, you know, in theater, we take a lot of time with that. You right. know, like, you, like, I just did a play that we were talking about off mic with, um, with Glenn Fitzgerald where we played a couple and that 
that like sense of a deep couple relationship really we used I think the three or four weeks of rehearsal to really mine that whereas on a tv set if you're playing someone's spouse you kind of and you've never met them before you just have to like succumb as you said to it like immediately and say like okay I'm gonna be open I'm gonna be vulnerable and it's I think it's a skill that um maybe tv actors don't get enough credit for honestly absolutely yeah I think it's incredibly difficult yeah it's it's very it's very different but um Speaking of that play, I mean, that's a good <laughs> yeah. segue into the remains, oh, good. I which even... I saw you in at the <laughs> yes, studio theater in Washington. Because you were doing a play right around the corner at the same time. Well, at around Willie the Mammoth. corner, but <laughs> across town. But, <laughs> but yes, we were both doing plays again in D.C. at the same time, which was fun. We didn't get to see Super each other fun. a tremendous amount. Because we were working. <laughs> <laughs> but So this was The Remains, which yeah. was written by Ken Urban. Yes. Who you also did... Correct me if I'm wrong. The Happy Sad. Mm-hmm. Is that the name mm-hmm. of the play? The Happy Sad, yeah. So I'm wondering... And we, I mean, did, uh, we did another play together, too. Oh. We did um, The Awake. Oh, wow. It's a lot of the plays, The, the Awake. So you worked together Sad, yeah. numerous times. We'll get to that question in a second. But um, let's say, I mean, this was a new play. Yeah. Uh, and when you're in the depths of rehearsal for something like that, what does an evening at home for Malik look like as you prepare? <laughs> well, so th- for that play, it was actually really nice because I was down in D.C., mm-hmm. So I'm married. I have a dog. Like I have a I have a life here in New York, but I didn't take it with me. Um, and so, um, you know, there were I mean there were nights where it was like, hey, we're just gonna go out for a drink after the rehearsal or whatever. But um, there was something about having my own space that allowed me to work, um, kind of, in whatever way I wanted to. You know, so uh, so I could come home and literally be like, oh, I'm gonna spend the next three hours working on this. I don't. I, there's no one I have any responsibilities to, which. You know, it's, I, I, I did um, play with Katie Finneran um, a couple of years ago, and she has two kids. And I was like, I don't know how you, you how do you do anything. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know how you go home, take care of them, wake up, take right. care of them, and then go to rehearse. So there was a great gift in that where I was like, hey, if I need the night to myself, I can clear out this entire apartment and walk around and, like, pretend I'm in, the, in like, a play. in a play. And But I think, I mean, to get to your question, the typical thing when I'm working on a play is I... I do like to look at what I know we're going to work on the next day. Right. Um, but I like to look at the play as a whole. Like I like to think about those scenes and then try to figure out how they're connected to the scenes before, like feel, figure out where my character is. And I, and I do this, I, I feel like I'm at risk for revealing maybe too much and mm. sounding cheesy, but I really do like to do the personalization work, you know, to like find those images that feel really meaningful. I mean, images are really big for me. But to find images that fit the play that really um, speak to me on a personal level and kind of like weave those together. Sure. Um, and like do the emotional work, you know, like mm-hmm. be like, oh, this is where this character is. And, um, you know, not to pre plan, because obviously I think most of this happens in rehearsal, but to give myself a world of things that, um, that could pop up and inform rehearsal the next day. Yeah. Things that you could just have, like, in your tool belt or something. Yeah, yeah. And not even necessarily, like, oh, I'm going to think of this here. But just, like, if it, once it's going on, like, once you have this sensibility, I feel like it may come up or it may not, but at least you've accessed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, now is my second question about Ken, where <laughs> no. I was just going to say, can you describe, you know, sort of, like, what a relationship with a playwright is and how that, like, evolves over time and... And what the benefit of having that person in the rehearsal room is? Um, yeah. So we so we met doing the Happy Sad, which um, was just like a super fun experience. With Trip Coleman directed it, and it was um, an amazing cast. It was like Ari Grainer and Michael Stahl David and Eddie K. Thomas and Sujin Kim and just Heidi Schreck. It was just like the cast was it was so fun, and um, yeah, and Ken and I just like we we hit it off uh so that was also like a great gift of having done yeah. this play with all these amazing people and then we've just like stayed in touch over the years you know i just did a reading of another play that he just wrote and he just he's would, i think the the cool thing is that um with the remains i think he wrote it with my voice in mind and then with um this play that we just did a reading of 
um, because we just worked on the remains, he kind of wrote it, wrote this thing. And I hesitate to say this because who knows, we'll end up doing it if it ever gets done. But I, I think he had like Danielle Scrostad and I in mind because Danielle and I did the remains. And so, so it's kind of cool because he starts, you start to really collaborate in this way. That's yeah. like, um, he knows me, but also I know him and I understand like he, you know, he writes a very specific rhythm. He has a lot of like ellipses and like overlaps and, and you start to know what those, what those mean. And I, and I think that we connect on a very sort of like, um, like, I think I understand the emotionality in his plays. And I think that he understands my, like the way I approach that stuff. And so, Mm. so it's nice, you know, and also like you just start to get to know each other's quirks too. Like, you know, I'm sure Ken would have a million things to say to you about me, but I feel like with him, sometimes you'll be in the middle of a rehearsal and be like, you know, I don't really understand this. Like, what is like, why, like, why would I say this? And, Ken can be very quiet right? and it can be a little frustrating, but I know now after having done three plays with him and many workshops that he's just really listening. Right. And like Quietness the next does day, not imply yeah, it doesn't mean that he's ambivalence or like, or I mean, it literally could just mean like I am trying to find out if my play is working. Yeah. 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 He also has a very strong sense, I think of how his plays are going to work. And I will say with the remains, we had done a workshop of it in Minneapolis at um, the playwright center and so I think he got to see how the comedy of it worked. But when we rehearsed that play in DC, we rehearsed it like real people in a, it was, you know, it's a, it's a play about gay divorce. And we rehearsed it about, we rehearsed it as though this couple is like in the midst of this heart wrenching divorce, not knowing how funny it was going to be. Uh-huh. And it was, it was a really funny play. Yes. But I think Ken. I think Ken knew. (laughs) I think he kind of knew. And I think he was like, and we'd sometimes fight for like, I don't like, this doesn't make sense. Like, why would I literally drop this line of thinking in the middle of the conversation? And he was like, just try it. I remember laughing quite hard at the play. I think I saw it pretty early. I think you might've been in previews still, but I do remember thinking that it was quite funny and, and I I thought you were very beautiful in the play. Thank you. It was a really great night. And, um, we'll get to how we have worked together in DC, but it was nice to see you on stage there again and like, yeah, in a oh, much cool. smaller space, but you know, yeah, it was a beautiful night, but now we're also <laughs> sharing space together, which neither of us anticipated, but I went to see you in good for auto. <laughs> yes, you did. You know where I'm going with this? I do. <laughs> and I, I, I purchased a ticket to see good for auto. And cause I knew I had to see you in it before I left to go to DC as, as you were doing as well. And I walked in and, and they, they made a quite a big hoopla when I walked in at the box office. They were like, okay, go stand over here. You have to wait for this usher and, and all of this. And I was like, oh my God, what ticket is this? And I went in and, and, they, and they escorted us. We had to wait for like five minutes before curtain. And, and then they took us in the wings and they were like, so your seating is on stage among the cast. This is what you must do, and blah blah blah. And I was like, "Oh God!" I was like, "That's the worst thing in the world." Like, I don't want to disturb you. I was like, "You know what? You know what? He's not going to be near us." And then they, they seat us on stage, and the seat next to me is open. And sure enough, <laughs> Malik it's me. enters, and that was your seat. And I think I we both—I mean, the play allowed for this to happen, but you kind of turned to me. We both shared a laugh, and then I think like the lights changed and. <laughs> and we were here. We were on this ride together. So for the first five minutes, I was so uncomfortable because I was just like, oh my God, I hope I don't distract yeah. you. But which brings me sort of to my question. <laughs> Time and space in that whole play. I felt like I was in the play. Yeah. Because, you know, the lights were on us. There was a huge house. And I'm just wondering, like, it felt like such this, like, vortex of, I don't even know. How did you, it seems like such a silly question, but how did you adjust to that like I imagine it taught you how to harness an immense amount of focus and yeah. concentration like um can you talk a little bit about that discipline yeah you know it was interesting it was interesting because the night you were there it was actually like pretty easy to stay focused like I think oh. I do I remember us kind of like ha ha hi right. here you- <laughs> and then suddenly here you are yeah um I I that play was like uh that character was so daunting for me and I think part of it and and I'm so grateful I got to play it and I got to like really explore a lot of like fascinating things and um and it was and it was 
really collaborative. Like David Rabe actually emailed me a few months ago because he was making some updates, I think, for the version that's going to be published and wanted to run some stuff by the character by me, which is really cool. So I feel like, you know, we, I found, I think I found some things in that character um, that, that, that were pretty intense, yeah. but but because so in that play, like I I sat on stage the entire first act, right. doing nothing, well, you sang and then a little bit. I sang a little bit, and like these group numbers, and then in act two I had all my stuff, and um, these powerful monologues. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. But and and it was, but it was like I was still sitting on stage, and you literally had to just kind of like walk into the therapist chair mm-hmm. and sit down and be at an emotional place that you were that warranted. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like because that felt so challenging that. I used a lot of that time sitting on stage, especially early on. I think you did come, did you come to a preview, yeah. yeah. Especially early on, like really being like laser focused on the play and um, not always going with my character because the construct of us sitting there waiting was very constructed. <laughs> like that didn't make sense for the character at all. My character literally said, I think in the first line of it, it's like, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go. So he wasn't sitting there waiting. He meditating any of it. Yeah. But... Um, you know, and then of course, like as the play went on, like there were nights where I was like, uh, "Where are we in the play?" <laughs> like you, the brain starts to leave. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing about that, when it, about that focus, is like kind of being okay with where you're at, because when you're just sitting there in full view of the audience, there's not a lot you can do. Like you can't be rolling your head around or like right. trying to think about, uh, you know, like that time. You know, I don't even, I don't even really work that way. But like th- that time, something happened to you, so you can be. But just like Crazy. really like, yeah, just really like, um, just like, and like if you're just, if you're drifting, just being like, okay, I'm drifting a little bit, but just staying like emotionally present to what's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I mean, through that play, you reference some like absolute theater legends. Yeah. yeah and I'm yeah, wondering yeah. if either like deliberately or inadvertently you picked up something along the way from any <laughs> of them. Backstage, oh on God. stage, or... Yes. I mean, all of them. I, um... I was really lucky because I shared a dressing room with Mark Lynn Baker and F. Murray Abraham. And Murray and I had done It's Only a Play together. Right. But but we hadn't really bonded because it was, you know, it was like, it was Broadway. Everyone had their own dressing room. And I, I also replaced on that show. So I came in late and it was kind of a running, you know, juggernaut machine. And so we didn't, you know, everyone kind of just showed up to the theater, did their job and and went home. And so I, I didn't really get to bond with him. But on this show, we went through a, a creative process together and we shared a dressing room right so we would talk about that and we our dressing room kind of became i don't think equity allows this but our dressing room kind of became the like backstage uh bar room (laughs) so people would come in after the show and we'd always have like a little bit of a nightcap and so i just got like regaled with you know like stories from all over the place and in fact murray and i think murray and mark might have they both worked in D.C., and so I was about to go to D.C., and so they shared with me their stories about sure. working in other towns. And um, But I think the biggest thing that I learned from them is that because the show was so emotionally demanding and daunting, and we were all sitting on stage, yeah. is that I think sometimes I have this idea that, um, even though I know a character is just, they are where they are, but I have this idea that like I have to be at an emotional place for it, for it to work, or... Um, but watching great actors be different every night and then come backstage and say like, ah, you know, I was frustrated that I wasn't more this or I'm losing this emotional sense of the scene. I've got to like do this tomorrow to whatever. It just allowed me that like, oh, this is all part of the process. And I, whether, you know, you um, have been doing it for 50 years or like two, every actor goes through their whole thing of like, trying to figure out where they need to be, the struggle with just being where they are. Like, it, it doesn't go away, I don't think, you know? Absolutely. I, I mean, I, that resonates, like, so deeply. Yeah. And I sort of was, like, dealing with those kind of things in our dressing room in D.C. too. You know, like, every night we took such a ride with that play that I kind of was like, oh, no, what if I'm not here? And it really is about, like, maybe instead of all of these ideas that you have off stage, maybe if you just, like, Remind yourself to breathe. Like, see what would happen. Yeah, yeah. It's so simple, but... Um, I, and, you know, they were also, like, they're pretty disciplined. Like, yeah. Murray, Murray came into that rehearsal room off book, which I thought was, like, insane. And yeah. I don't really work that way, but I was like, wow, like, good, good, good for you. And he set a bar. 
you know? Right. And, um, and I'll tell you this story. I remember there was one day I was like late, <laughs> um, to half hour or something like that. And, mm. uh, and he was like, uh, he was like, this isn't going to become a habit, is it? And I was like, oh my God, it's like my, my first day late. Like, right. but I was, I was like, oh yeah, it's not. And I was never late again after, after that. Right, right. So I learned a lot of like, you know, he's a very disciplined actor who also is a lot of fun and, you know, would, you know, mess around and, you know. Of course. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, but also, but I think you, that it's okay to take the work seriously. Yeah. In fact, it's, it's, it's really part important. of the job. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, now we get to <laughs> our shared time together yay and this experience in dc was so fascinating for me because i was you know in the rehearsal room watching you create this role and it was very interesting just watching so many people come together with different you know sort of like rehearsal habits or techniques and and things like that and i'm wondering what about the stuff that i didn't know like how did you prepare for that role before you came to DC what were you doing in New York to lead you there yeah um so I actually so I knew about Tammy the Shrew a few months before um, we started rehearsal I think Ed Iskander offered it to me in um like December or something like or November of the year before so I had a few months but I but to be honest I was actually out in LA the few months before I think like you know doing a little bit of work but a lot of pilot season and um and so I was kind of focused on other stuff but I I actually did do a lot of like pre-preparation I took some um I took like a a couple like Fitzmorris voice classes because I was like I feel like I've not used my my voice in this way in a while um I rewatched the John Barton playing Shakespeare yes. series, which Invaluable. is so good. <laughs> it's so good. And it was just, you know, a kind of a reminder of all the stuff that I'd done in, mm-hmm. in drama school, but it had, it had Ooh, been a while. Yeah. And so to take like those, oh my God, like what a great resource that he made those videos because they're so mm-hmm. good. But to, to sort of take that and be able to sit with the text for a while in, you know, without the stress of we've got to block this scene tomorrow right. or I got to memorize these lines, but just like, Oh, I can play, um, was really nice. And I didn't do it. Like, it wasn't like I was doing this every day. It was like, I, you know, I kind of just took my time with it, but I did do some thinking about the character. And then I will say like one thing that was super helpful, um, is, um, I have like, especially when I'm working on a play, I'll occasionally take, uh, some Alexander lessons yeah. with, um, with Jessica Wolf who taught at Yale and who I've just stayed in touch with over the years. And, um, I only got to do like one or two cause she's in New York and I wasn't in New York right before Tammy and the Shrew, but we did one where, and I remember she said this to me and it was so great. She was like, um, I don't want you to think about, I just, like, I don't want you to think about the way you think Catherine moves. Um, I want you to f- think about your hips and ask the character how how she wants to move which you know again it sounds so esoteric or something Uh but it was it was really um helpful yeah and it was um it was like a way to move into a physicality that wasn't about femininity and obviously this character like i think in a way like loads her femininity and Mm -hmm. and also owns it and uses it and but it was a way to um a way to work inside out that was like um something that I brought, you know, that I think informed the, my work in the rehearsal room. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it was a wild experience and, and just sort of like the finished performance. And I mean, is it ever finished? But <laughs> I mean, right. watching it uh, change, you know, even as small as it did. And I was on stage every night sort of watching that final monologue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and just like watching the subtleties of it always change you know it's always so inspiring so I mean oh thanks that's so nice to hear yeah I mean it's tough it's a tough play yeah and I think we all realized that as as we were in the process of doing it but I think you you know you spoke about I can't call him Murray because I don't know him but (laughs) F Murray F Murray F you sort of you talked about him sort of setting a bar and I feel like you did the same thing oh thanks and just how you showed up and you were prepared and, and willing to open yourself in the rehearsal room I think uh, 
Very transcendent. Too. Oh my god, that's so nice. And by the way, I just I'm, I I've already told you this before, but you were so wonderful in the play. And I'm not just saying that because we're on the podcast. I always tell people. I remember being like, "Oh, you're amazing." Yes. Yeah. I uh, and we also had many shared moments on that. One of which I think was you holding the back of my enormous oh my wedding dress, <laughs> and yes. and me being like, "Oh my god, I'm freaking out because I have to sing a Duncan Sheik song right. now. I have to turn. I have to spin around in this enormous wedding dress and sing a Duncan Sheik song." Yeah. You know, just to touch on that final monologue. I mean, that was one of those where um, that's such a big moment in the play, and like the moment right before it was me doing a quick change. Um, and running up a, uh, a flight of stairs onto a moving set. Right. And so it was one of those things where I think the preparation for that had so much to do with like staying open. And, you know, there were no nights where it was like seeing Baptista there would bring up one thing. And there were nights right. where it was just like, I, I feel absolutely nothing, nothing and that's okay because maybe she feels nothing for you. Maybe she feels nothing <laughs> yeah. Tonight. Yeah. I mean, this was a question I was going to ask later, but I wonder sort of like, I find inevitably like in a lot of shows that I do, there's a moment that like really scares me mm-hmm, <laughs> backstage, like yeah. in anticipation, and I wonder if you ever encounter that, and what you do to combat it. Is there something, or are you always working through those kind of things too? And yeah, you like a specific moment in the play, and you're backstage about to come on. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Like either maybe I, I fear the scene because I don't know, I don't know why. Yeah, I think it's I, I've had that moment for sure, and I, I sometimes I think. Um, it it's, it has something to do with like the moment before the scene for mm. me in a way, and um, you know, like in the remains we had done, we we go through this play that's like an hour and a half long, and most of it, although very real for us, plays as a comedy with the audience, and then it takes a really dark turn really yeah. quickly, yeah, and we had this like almost ten, I don't know, ten minute, maybe it wasn't that long, but it felt like a ten minute breakup scene that was like really emotionally intense, and I remember. Um, that there was a moment right before that where Danielle's character says goodbye to us. Even thinking about it now, it makes me emotional. <laughs> but I remember being like, um, being able to like, like, use her energy to bring me into the place that felt like a good starting point for the scene to follow, as opposed to thinking about like, oh gosh, I'm about to like jump off on this like ten minute scene where we have to like really lay into each other and be like emotionally sort of devastating but just to be like okay I can be right here with her and let her do the work in a way because she's the one speaking and I can just like really be and I and I remember that in good for Otto too like being on stage with Amy Madigan who played the therapist that if I felt like I was straying or like oh god oh god I this you know like there was a moment in that play where she basically calls me on this lie that I've been telling her and it felt like very emotionally devastating. And if, and if I, if I kind of focused on like, Oh God, am I there? Am I not there? It would sometimes not be there. But if I could just like take it off of her, it felt so much easier. And that's, you know, that's like a very easy thing to say and a very hard thing. I think. Yeah. Um, It's so easy to talk about, but in practice it can be so daunting. I don't know why. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Um, we're nearing the end. Oh my God. No, it's been so fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love talking about me. I know. Who knew? I love talking about you too. <laughs> um, my last two questions are, well, I'll do one at a time. What are some roles, if any, that you're still dying to play? Oh my gosh. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know that there's something out there that I'm like, you know, i I really have to play this. It's funny because we were, you and I were talking about Lear right mm, before this. Yes. And in grad school, I did, um, uh, we did these like Shakespeare projects and I played Edgar and Edmund. Mm. Uh, and I think that would be like amazing to play. Yeah. I also feel like I'm a few years away from this, but I did, um, we did another Shakespeare project in drama school where I played um, Richard III. Mm. Uh, and um, even though I was in drama school and like so young and maybe not that young, but young enough, I, um, I, I feel like it was really successful. And I think there's something about these like dark, tortured characters, which really are interesting to me, even though most of my career has been defined by um, comedy. Right. So, so, you know, that, I think that'd be cool. But, you know, the other thing too is that I, I feel like we're in a, in a moment where diversity is... Um, really being looked at in a really positive way and like major change is happening. But this question that you're asking, 
I feel like back in the day when when someone would be like, what are roles you, you want to play? I would really have, have a really hard time with it because I never, I was like, oh, I don't think I'd ever get to play roles. Right. So I kind of like stopped thinking about it. You know what I mean? Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think it'd be cool to delve into some of the darker things. And it was amazing doing Timmy the Shrew and getting to play a character that again, like I would never have imagined getting right. to play. I mean, Kate in an all male production, Timmy the Shrew. Right. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. I, I, I hesitate to talk about myself for a second, but in college, junior year, we did Shakespeare scenes and I was assigned a scene from Richard III. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at the casting at first and was like, what? Okay. And I like went away and, you know, you read the play and, and you work with your scene partner. And I, I just, I felt like I was drowning. I don't know what it was. And I had this director, his name was Peter Sander in college. And we went up and it's like, you know, it's like a little black box to do the scene. And he like whispered something in my ear before we did the scene about like, who I had this idea of like physically who Richard was and all these things and he kind of like well, all he basically whispered in my ear was like he is you mm-hmm. and like something mm-hmm. along like something really like simple and those things and we did this scene and I was so nervous about like memorization of Shakespeare and, and all of these things and, and we did the scene <laughs> and to this day I tell my scene partner that it was like the most I think it was the best acting I've ever done like it's bizarre to say that interesting but just yeah. the way that I was able to sink into that like Mm -hmm. in this one little moment in a black box like I was like I felt like I had never been more committed to something in my life than like being Richard it was (laughs) so crazy yeah and like to this day I don't remember a single line I don't remember like I don't remember anything but it was so in this moment that I don't know there's something about those classics and those tortured yeah well you have so much to write on in the text and and also like in these like you know, like with Kate or with him, certainly like there's like an emotional history that's written into the play, like a relationship with parents and to their own bodies, even, you know, like there's so much stuff that's given to you, which is exciting. Um, have you read Year of the King? No. Anthony Shearer? It's, yeah, yeah, I saw oh that at God. the when I was... Um, you saw him no, playing? I, oh. I saw the, oh, the book, the book <laughs> yeah. on the shelf at the, at the Folger gift shop and I like was tempted to buy it. I had bought so many books that are still on the shelf and haven't read, so I figured... Yeah, wait on this one. It's but that one really caught my so eye. So good, oh. and it's about like a year of him preparing to play Richard the Third, and it's so. I, I feel like for anyone listening to your podcast, or for even you who's interested in doing this, yeah. I mean, he talks about all the things that we go through as an actor, like including being so nervous on the the first table read, even though he was playing Richard the Third, that he like is like stumbling around on the words, what and could be more you know, terrifying than a table read. yeah. <laughs> but on that totally. note, I do want to end by just asking you. Yes. For a love note to the American theater. Oh. Everybody does this at the end, so it's become a little tradition, but what makes you keep coming back and why does it continue to ignite your soul? Yeah. Um, oh, I um I don't I don't know that it's like a tangible thing that I that I have a real answer for. Here, as an audience member, I know that no matter what, no matter how many plays I've seen, it's like sitting in that seat and watching uh, the lights go down and knowing the play is about to start. My my heart literally starts to like beat just a little bit faster, and like something courses through my body. And I don't know what that is. Um, and then as an actor, I think I think that one of the things that I love about it is that. I feel like in our real lives, we are so, um, we so rarely get to like live in a really full way and a really emotional way. And I feel like, you know, our job as actors, of course, is to um, affect the audience. Not, it's not really about us. And it feels amazing to get the unexpected laugh mm. or, um, or to feel the audience. And you can feel it, as you know, when you're on stage, to feel the audience lean in at a quiet or an emotional moment. Um, so to know that you have that effect is is incredible, but there is something that's like really freeing about getting to live in a larger way on stage and getting to like have these big emotional lives and have characters that express these big emotional lives. And I and I mean this in like not this is a love note to the American theater, but um, even in like the world of television, you know, like yeah. getting to play a character like 
like Jonathan on 30 Rock who can say to Liz Lemon, who he abhors for whatever I think I know, but for whatever those reasons are, but to get to say, you, like, your mouth, your face looks like someone punched a bag in a hole of flour. And, you know, it's like who, we know people don't get to do that in right. real life. So to get to like be, be that for a while is, is I think really fun. And in addition, just sort of to, you know, your life as an actor, you've also taken a role in politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you also have another upcoming thing. I do. I, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I feel like, you know, when I was in drama school, which I think we talked a lot about, but I feel like the idea was like, I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to do plays. And, and I feel like the career as an actor like takes you in so many different places. I've done uh, voices on animated series, which is yeah. something I never thought I would do and I love doing. And, and so now I've written a book. Um, which is coming out in October, the fall of the fall of 2019. That's what yeah, this yeah, fall. This fall. Um, and it's a middle grade novel about a 12 year old Indian American gay boy growing up in the Midwest and um, kind of navigating middle school and trying to find his way. And I think it's really funny. He's got a dad who's in a in a band called Bollywood Supply that does cover songs of Air Supply, and <laughs> and he's got a group of Indian aunties who follow him around everywhere called the Auntie Squad. 